0: Well, good morning, everybody. Nice to see everyone. Have you ever walked by somebody in the grocery store, let's say, you know them from work or from some other, uh, you know, sphere of life, and you just walk right by them, it's like you don't even, you don't even recognize them, it's because they're out of context, right? And you always have this reaction, like, oh my goodness, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be here, you're supposed to be at work, that's where you belong. Oh, that's right, you also need food, and... Sustenance and, you know, but if, if you see somebody out of context, sometimes you just walk right by them. I do it all the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, admittedly, because I'm not the most observant person, I'm generally dialed into the fact that I'm surrounded by other sentient beings. But uh, you know, my comings and goings, I'm doing my errands or running around, and I'm, I'm pretty dialed in. I'm, I'm more myopic than I care to admit. And, uh, but what's interesting is for any of us who have ever done this, we say the same thing. Uh, we, say, we say, oh my goodness, I didn't see you. Right? Oh, I didn't see you. Uh, it's so interesting. They're right there, but we didn't see them. We've all done that. Our text today is Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 46. And this is a, an account of a man who not only can't see, but he isn't seen. And then Jesus sees him. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as Jesus was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd followed him. And a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to meet Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. This is God's word. Now, this passage starts out in verse 46 by telling us, first of all, this beggar's name, Bartimaeus, and then it goes to the trouble of giving us his father's name, Timaeus. Now, why bother? This guy is a nobody and he's the son of a nobody. And at a point in human history when paper is kind of at a premium, why are you gonna waste space? Why are you gonna bother writing down the beggar's name and writing down his daddy's name? Um, This in ancient uh, literature is a footnote. It's for fact checking. It's so you can verify the story got a name, you've got the Father's name, you can go and find these people. That's how this genre of writing works. Now if you're exploring Christian faith this morning, and you're considering the God of Christianity, then probably one of the difficult things for you to grasp is texts like this that are about miracles. Because the modern mind, the modern conversation, has decided that supernatural phenomena that cannot be explained by science are impossible, they don't happen. And we've decided this. And the best way to decide that there is no such thing as miracles is to ignore, deny, get rid of, and dismiss every historical record of miracles. So if you're going to deny that the the records could possibly be true, then logically speaking, there is no such thing as miracles. But here's what I want you to consider before we start to unpack this passage this morning. And it's this. If Jesus was just another man... If Jesus was just an ancient hipster who was eating with outcasts and fighting with the underdogs, right? If this historical Jesus that historians who are worth their salt all agree that he suffered under Pontius Pilate in 33 A.D. If this historical Jesus was just another man, and you were writing a legend about him, you don't need to name Bart's dad. Why bother? just not relevant if you're making up legends and stories to name the beggar's father these, these which are strewn throughout the entire New Testament for those of you who are considering faith this morning, these are the reasons why we look at this text and we say we're reading, Christian faith is not just a theological claim it's a historical truth claim that we've based our faith in something that, of a God who has revealed himself in human history so Bartimaeus is on the road to Jericho because the people who were traveling that particular road, they had a lot of money. This is a good place to try and beg and get money because this city of Jericho, this is a new Jericho. This was actually built a few kilometers away from the Jericho in the Old Testament that was destroyed. Um, This city of Jericho that's in Mark 10 here, it was built by Herod the Great, and it was this oasis winter retreat. The archaeologists who excavated this Jericho, uh, you can do... Uh, research, and you'll find that they, when they excavated, they excavated Herod's huge winter palace. So this was where you wanted your postal code if you were the ancient who's who. This was the desirable hot spot, the, oasis, the winter oasis. This is where you wanted to be um, in this new Jericho. So this is a city for people with affluence and importance, and it's here that Jesus meets Bartimaeus, a man with no affluence, a man with no importance. And in verse 47 and 48, something really shocking happens. Um, It's sobering. In verses 47 and 48, the people following Jesus silence the guy crying out for Jesus. It's incredible. On the way to this ancient hotspot where the who's who are very visible... Bartimaeus has spent his whole life contending with a culture that wishes he was invisible. Not just the Romans who could care less about Jesus, who preferred that beggars were invisible. The people who were following Jesus. They shut him up. They silenced him. Because they too wished the beggar was invisible. And so the people who are following Jesus, which what we need to sit in here is that they can't see the needy. They're quick to silence the needy because they resent being inconvenienced by those who are needy. Right? That's why they quiet them. You're creating a disturbance. Shh, don't, don't bug Jesus. Don't, you're just. We wish you were invisible. But Jesus enters into the brokenness of the needy. Jesus sees the needy. Jesus moves toward the needy, which is all of us. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says that, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. When did Jesus give us this richness? When did he give us this grace? When we deserved it. Have we ever squandered his grace, like a beggar squanders money? Yeah. Yeah. As the church, don't we gather week in and week out every Sunday, mooching grace? Yeah. Don't we come into church every week like the high school kid who's mooching for lunch money and you're like, dude, you could make a lunch. And he's like, you got a quarter, you got a quarter, hey, you got a quarter, you got a... And the next day, you got a quarter, you got a... We're that guy. We're, we're We're them, church. We're that person. And so we have to recognize that what is God's response to us, though? Each week as we gather here, like spiritual beggars, and we're, when we confess our sin to God, we're thankful for His grace. What is God's response every Sunday to you and I? What is His response as we, as we squander this grace? It's not no. It's never no. God has more grace than you have sin, And... Lord knows you all have a lot of sin. This preacher has a lot of sin. We have a lot of sin. But God's grace stretches further than our sin. God, has more sin. God has more grace than we have sin. So, the steadfast love of the Lord, Lamentations 3 says, it never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. It is new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The gospel reforms the way we see the poor because the gospel reminds us that without Jesus, we are all poor. And so Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus, and listen to how he calls out to him. He says, son of David, and that's actually a messianic title. Son of David. That's that's implying that Jesus is from the lineage of David, which he is. Read Matthew, we know that, right? Right? He cries out, Son of David! That implies he's from the lineage of David. That implies if he's from the lineage of David, then he is the one who's been prophesied about that's going to inherit the throne of David. And if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 and you read the promise to David, then Bartimaeus is saying, this is the guy that's going to get the promise of David. And the promise of David is that one of those from his lineage would rule on the throne forever. Of course, the The apostles think that's political. We all know now that that's eternal. And this blind man sees Jesus better than most. Jesus, son of David, he cries out. God's grace has already moved and has already opened the eyes of this man's heart as he sees Jesus better than most. And he cries out, Have mercy! Son of David, have mercy on me. Is there anything more offensive in today's culture than to be told that you're not okay? There's nothing worse you could say than you're not okay. That's like the height of offense. And by crying out, have mercy on me, he's confessing he's not okay. Son of David, have mercy on me. And so as we look at this, we see that this is a cry of saving faith. The cross is this intersection of justice and mercy. And, and by this, we have to recognize that the cross says, we're not okay. It's offensive in that sense. Because it says, it, it, it tells us that we're so sinful that the Son of God had to come and die. But it, it's also mercy, because it tells us we're so loved, He was willing to come and die. Right? To borrow the language of author and apologist Timothy Keller, he would say it this way, The message of Christianity, it grinds us into the dust and then it raises us to the sky. It grinds us to the dust because we recognize we're way more sinful than any of us would ever care to admit. But then we recognize that Jesus came willingly to take away all of our sin. And that raises us to to the sky because then we recognize we're more loved than we ever dared imagine. And this is the the reality of Christian faith. and, And Bartimaeus cries out, have mercy. In verse 49, Jesus says... Call him. I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't call him. There's lots of instances when Jesus went himself and and called the needy. But in this particular case, Jesus says to those who can't see him, call him. Goes to his followers. The ones who are indifferent to and inconvenienced by and silencing the one in need, you go and you go call the one who's in need. And so then in verse 49, they go and they call him and they say, Take heart. Get up. Jesus is calling you. Wow. That little phrase, take heart, that's what they say to him. Take heart in the Greek. It is theresei. And that little phrase, theresei, it's only in the New Testament Gospels about four, five or six times. And every single time, guess who's saying it? Jesus. There's a Hey, cheer up. Something's about to happen that's a game changer. Something I'm going to say or do. Cheer up. Be of good cheer. Right? Think of the times Jesus said this. In this life, in this world, he will have tribulation. Cheer up. I've overcome the world. You can go through it. Jesus says it every time. But here he says, you go call him. So now... In the, word, in the mouth of the Jesus followers, the people who can't even see the guy, who are silencing the guy, they're now speaking the words of Jesus. Get up. Cheer up. It's amazing. They go from shut up to get up. And it's a miracle. We think the only miracle in this story is that his blind Bartimaeus gets his physical sight. The first miracle in the story is that he already knows who Jesus is, which means God's grace has already moved upon his heart and the eyes of his heart have been opened and so he's miraculously calling out for mercy. The, 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 this, the, the second miracle is that he's saying, have mercy on me, which means I'm not okay, which is the most offensive thing that any you know, human could look in the mirror and have to contend with, is that they're before God, they're not okay. So then there's that miracle of grace and now, this, and now you've got this miracle where the self-absorbed now see. They're given their sight. And so, before Jesus does the miraculous work of opening the physical eyes of Bartimaeus, he does the healing work of opening the spiritual eyes of his own followers. And we can identify with this crowd. I know as I was preparing the sermon this week and thinking about it and reflecting on it, I can reflect and I can um, identify with this crowd. Being blind to the needs of others, avoiding the discomfort of the needs of others not wanting to be drained or bothered by entering into the needs of others. See, the gospel is Christ's perfect life, his atoning death and his divine resurrection, which takes away our sin and it meets our deepest need. What that gospel does is it opens our eyes and our hearts so that we care to enter into others' needs. And so in verse 50... Bartimaeus, he throws off his cloak, and he springs up, and he comes to Jesus. And this nobody is called by grace to the ultimate somebody. And that's us. That's all of us. And if you're here today, and you feel like nobody really sees you, God sees you, and he loves you. And he calls you. And he heals you. And in verse 51, Jesus asks him. And you would think it would be obvious. But Jesus asks him. Because Jesus has a habit of asking. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Why is Jesus always asking people what they want? Right? Is he a genie? Is this, is this how we are to understand the God of Christianity? He's, there's, a, there's a genie in the sky. He asks us what we want. We tell him what we want. We say in Jesus' name at the end of it like a magic incantation and then we get what we said and if we, if we, if we really, really believe and believe then whatever we said we get because we said it in Jesus' name because after all, look at the text, Jesus keeps on asking people, what the, is that? What, what's going on here? Every single time that Jesus is asking people what they want, he is asking them to share what they think that they need. And then Jesus always gives what they truly need. And in some cases, what people think they need and what Jesus need match. And when you and I pray those prayers of what we think we need and what we truly need is what we need, and it matches, and our prayer is answered in the same manner that we prayed it, we're dancing in the street. I mean we're like this is incredible. But here's the truth, church, is that Jesus has always and always answers our prayers based on what it is that we truly need. So when he's asking what we want, he's wanting to expose what we think we truly what we think we most need, what we truly need. And so he invites us to come and he invites us to pray. And we praise him that our prayers are always answered perfectly. Sometimes in the manner in which we ask, sometimes not in the manner in which we ask. But he is good, and he is wise, and he is loving, and he is more generous than we can fathom. And so, here, the reason why we have this, what's interesting about it, is he asks Bartimaeus what, what he wants. He says, what do you want? And not too long, if you're here last week, last, the, not too long in this passage, just before, he asked Bartimaeus what he wanted. He asked his disciples what they wanted. What do you want? Well, what do you want me to do for you? And not too long ago, he asked his disciples, well, what do you want me to do for you? And what the disciples said was, well, we want political position. We want to be great. We want to sit on your right. We want to sit on your left. That's what we want. See, that's what they thought they needed, right? And Jesus taught them that following him meant having influence through a humble serving position. That's what they actually needed. So in verse 51, Bartimaeus says it. He says, I want to see. And I want to draw your attention to how Bartimaeus asks this, how he addressed Jesus. Because in our English translations, he says, Teacher, I want to see, or Rabbi, I want to see. Well, in the Greek, it's much, much stronger than just, just saying teacher, because you you know the, the religious leaders were saying teacher, and other people were saying teacher. But the Greek word here is actually rabunai. And rabunai is not teacher, it's my teacher. It could also be translated not master, my master. And so what's amazing here is that Bartimaeus' physical eyes didn't work but by grace his spiritual eyes worked just fine the way he is relating to Jesus is not casual, it's personal not teacher, my teacher not a master, my master and so we see this amazing miracle that takes place in verse 52 Jesus says, go your faith has made you well faith in what? Not just in the power of Jesus, though that's true. His faith in the identity of Jesus. He says, My master, my teacher. I want to see. Jesus knows he knows who he is. This is the miracle of, of saving grace that's at work here. And so, Jesus, he, he, he says, Jesus is the son of David, which means he's not Bartimaeus is you saying, you're, you're a king, you're my king. And so when you look at the language that Mark uses in verse 52 after Bartimaeus recovers his sight, it says, if you look at the text, it says, and he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. That little phrase, followed him on the way. That that particular phrasing is how you described disciples in the first century, following their master on the way. So what happens here is that Bartimaeus goes from darkness to light. Not just in a physical sense, which would have been a temporal gift, though amazing. He goes from darkness to light in a spiritual sense. He follows Jesus on the way. He is a follower of Christ. This is an eternal gift. See, this is a physical miracle that took place in history, which is astounding. God, by his sovereign grace, can continue to do miracles and heal today. He can do that. But if all this was was about Us all leaving today going, wow, it's amazing that there was a fear, you know, a miracle. This text was written in 66 AD. What would the relevance of that be for your life today exactly, if that's all that was? But because this is not just a physical healing, that in a minute, I'm going to show you the significance of the physical healing, but that there is a spiritual healing that that is eternal, that is of the utmost relevance to you and I today. As people who are made out of dirt and headed back there. This is a tremendously relevant text for us today. You see, the healing of blind Bartimaeus, like all of Jesus' healings, it's like a teaser trailer for a movie you're about to go see, you know. And this and when every time Jesus does a miraculous healing, there's spoilers. It's like when you see a trailer and then there's a movie and the the full feature is coming and you're really looking forward to the full feature and you see the trailer and then sometimes you stop watching trailers because you're like, I don't want this great thing to be spoiled and I know that if I keep watching these trailers, they're going to show me more than I want to see. Every single miracle of Jesus has spoilers, massive spoilers for the feature that is coming with his return. And every time he heals physically, that's a spoiler that should catch our attention. It's because for all who are united to Christ by grace and faith, there is a healing that is coming. And it will be a healing to the physical, it will be a healing to the material, it will be a healing that restores the material, a healing that is eternal. So again, if you are here exploring Christian faith and you think that what the Bible teaches is that when we die, we kind of float around and we become a ethereal part of the universe and we wear diapers and we shoot arrows or we play harps, this kind of coloring book idea of Christian faith, that is not what the Bible gives us. That's why the resurrection of Jesus Christ bodily is important for us. That's why it's exciting for the Christian. Do you like being a human? Good. He's going to restore you to perfect humanity. That's what Christ was. Do you enjoy sunsets and mountains? and walk? Do you like the world that we live in? I know it's a paradox, and there's horrible things every day that make you cry. But those are the things that are being eradicated by grace. But the things that we enjoy, those things are being perfected by grace. Heaven is not a ethereal place where just kind of float around and do nothing and sing for forever. Heaven is where the king reigns. And right here and right now, the king reigns in our hearts. But a day is coming when the healing that we see in Bartimaeus and every healing that Jesus did will be manifest. Because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, time is no longer an enemy that is inevitably taking everything away from you. Time is now God's ally if you are in Christ. Because the day is coming when God is going to restore everything to you. This is what the significance of the resurrection is. This is the significance of him. When he heals Bartimaeus' eyes, this is a, this is a spoiler alert. That everything that's wrong in the world will be made right. That everything that is sad, as C.S. Lewis said, will come untrue. That Christ will return and he will restore everything. The same Jesus that restored the sight to the blind. He made the deaf hear. He made the lame walk. He's going to make death work backwards. He's going to restore all of creation. And then he's going to raise you and I to enjoy it. Together. With him. Forever. That's the significance of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. May the gospel continue to open our eyes. So that we can see God's grace. And how it has met our eternal need. And from that liberating truth, may God's grace empower us to enter into the need of others. May we, from the freedom and the radicality of what we have been given, go to those in our lives, go to others in this room, go to a friends in the city, and say, take heart. Get up. He's calling you. Let's pray.